if the U.S. government, the media, the legal system, and the church can't keep democracy alive. It's time for a state sale, a podcast on American democracy, because America is better than this. Welcome to the holiday version of Estate Sale. I'm Lori Lattimore-Wolfman. And I'm Brad Rayleigh, the jolly one. <laughs> the, the Santa Claus of our... Right, that's right. <laughs> ...of our podcast. So after we spend a little time complaining about the current state of crazy town and the number of people joining the deep state, according to Trumplicans, We'll talk a little bit about the joy of the season and our Christmas wishes for the new year. Right? Does that sound good? <laughs> yeah, I think that does sound good. I'm sure you saw Pat Robertson basically yeah. told, told Trump to get over it. <laughs> and that he's living in an alternate reality. I mean, when Pat Robertson and Bill Barr are telling you that you need to just move on you know that pretty much Armageddon has come for Trump. Uh, did you see the piece in The Atlantic about him losing his mind? Yes. Somebody who worked in the previous Republican administrations did not vote for Trump in 2016 or 2020 because he saw in him this personality type that we all kind of saw. I mean, right. you know, if you go back to 2016, that whole election cycle as it was looking like Hillary was going to win, he kept saying, this is all rigged. This is all bullshit. And, and people were asking him, are you going to accept the results of the election? And he's like, well, I'll have to wait and see and all this blah, blah, blah. And then somehow people are shocked that when it comes to 2020, that he does exactly the same thing. I don't know if you saw Axios. Jonathan Swan. Swan, yeah. He's hearing from hardcore Trump supporters that they're alarmed by how Trump is going crazy. And Rudy Giuliani, Crazy eyes, machine oil, whatever, crazy, you know, <laughs> hands down his pants, Rudy Giuliani is saying, whoa, about, about uh, Powell. Powell. When Rudy Giuliani thinks somebody is crazy. Oh, my goodness. I mean, this is actually a very curious kind of thing to observe because we talked about this on the, on the podcast that, you know, there was that point where she crossed the line, right? And, and so then they all started distancing themselves from her. Trump fired her too. Right. And then all of a sudden you turn around and she, he's floating the idea of giving her in a security clearance, appointing her as a uh, special counsel for election fraud. I think it's Mary Trump who, who just said that he, he has no concept of being able to deal with failure. He has no ability yeah. to deal with it. And so he's just circling and circling and cycling and cycling. And he's having phone conversations and meetings with Republicans to plot the January 6th date, you know, where they're going to try to object to, to accepting the Electoral College. And in that same report, Trump himself acknowledges that he's probably, he's not going to win that, but he still has to do it. In the Atlantic piece, he, yeah, he mentions that the key to understanding Trump is understanding his sociopath personality. He is not a healthy person. This is somebody who emotionally is incredibly fragile. And I've said this before, that if, if he were not president and the consequences to my life and the people we know were not so dire, I would actually feel some sympathy for him and I would, I would want him to get help, which of course he can't. Well, and then the other thing, it demonstrates his lack of empathy for COVID. He just didn't have the mental capacity for that. And he's, as he has said, 
he's done with COVID yeah. <laughs> as if he gets to decide that or as if he'd ever really done anything about it to begin with. Right. I forgot the quote, but something like he put it on a timetable and he had exceeded the amount of time he planned to spend on it. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. Yeah. It clearly. I mean, it's been so obvious. Uh, but you hard, we hardly get to talk about it because we're always dealing with the fire that emerges each day. And yeah. It's been so obvious that he doesn't want to be president. He does no. not like the actual job of dealing with no. problems. I mean, the, the thing we know about Trump being a, a narcissist, being a, a, what do they say, a malignant narcissist. So he's not just proud of himself. He's proud of himself in such a toxic way. The biggest fear that he has um, is always that he's not being uh, talked about. I mean, that's the thing, you know, you've talked about this uh, since we started this. I remember they said about Teddy Roosevelt that he was uh, the kind of guy that wanted to be the bride at every uh, wedding and the corpse at every funeral. Teddy actually did a lot of good stuff and was not complete psychopath. That describes Trump. He wants to be at the center of attention. And so, of course, he's collecting names. Uh, that Axios right. piece said that he's uh, now concerned that, that Pence isn't loyal enough. He's obviously mad at Bill Barr, uh, who now, of course, on Parlor, I believe Bill Barr is now officially the deep state. It's amazing how you can you can end up there. And then he's mad at Mitch McConnell. He is a continual episode of, of Survivor, not 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 The Apprentice. His actual model is that at every every point that his circle narrows, people are going to disappoint him to the point that he has to get rid of them. Like I said, I mean, if if he weren't president and trying to overthrow our democracy, I would have compassion for him and want him to get help. But as it is, he is this deeply sick person with an empty space and where his soul should be, who has to fill it with uh, fast food and, and uh, porn stars. <laughs> and that, that, those are, that's when we're lucky, is when he does it. Right. <laughs> that's, that's the good day. <laughs> right, because I think a bad day is when he's, you know, doing real damage to real people. And as we saw this week, pardoning every criminal friend that helped Russia help get him elected in 2016, while also vetoing a bipartisan bill, a bipartisan bill that includes COVID relief, just because Trump is still mad, Twitter gets to put disclaimers on his false tweets, and that the military bases can't keep names of leaders who fought to overthrow the federal government over slaves. I mean, it's He's going off the deep end, and we're all suffering. He's just horrendous. Yeah. Lori, I'm wondering if I've if ever gotten your kind of explanation on, uh, we've known about Trump, and we know about some of the more kind of craven Republicans like Lindsey Graham, you know, who is, um, uh, speaking of empty suit, you know. <laughs> exactly. What is your explanation for the kind of average, let's just pick on Southern Baptists because I'm feeling angry at them right now. <laughs> Or, you know, a Franklin Graham or anybody like this. How, how do people observe this man being so abusive and so dishonest and so corrupt? And Franklin Graham said on Twitter, he essentially repeated every lie Trump had said about, about Russia and Ukraine and everything else. And that, that he'd been spied on, all this kind of stuff. And he's like, well, if he says there's a problem with the election, I tend to believe him. I'm like, what the fuck? You're getting your information from from the liar in chief, the guy who lies more than, than anybody. So how, how, how do you make sense? How do you personally make sense of these individuals 
repeating absolute discernible nonsense. I think it's pure self-interest. They know that their power and their prestige is tied to Trump in, in part and tied to their political standing. And so they're going to keep promulgating those lies that they know are lies. The thing about that tweet from Franklin Graham that was so annoying was he wasn't even saying truth. Trump was impeached, but that was proved to be untrue. No, it's not. There was collusion found. Actual documents and that entire report from Robert Mueller found plenty of collusion. Yeah. He just couldn't get a Republican Senate to do anything about it because they need Trump to stay in power. And the same thing happened with Ukraine. The memo, even the one that Trump released, released. very clearly shows that it was not a perfect call and that he did actually try to bribe a foreign leader to help him in an election. Franklin Graham, he is repeating stuff he knows is untrue because it is documented multiple places across our government that it's untrue. But he also knows that he has a captive audience that's only listening to him, Trump, Fox News, the whole cohort of liars. So they can keep themselves in their lying bubble and get away with it. What they're able to do is just completely ignore the unraveling that we have, you know, the rest of us who pay attention to fact and science and truth have been proving and revealing for years, months since Trump became president. Their only play is to keep the lies going, keep the, keep the base fueled and try to try to keep that momentum so that going into Biden's obvious presidency, their best play to get back into power, especially in 2022 with the next round of elections, midterm elections, will be to keep people being angry and thinking that they were wronged and that this was unfair and that this election was stolen. And there's no evidence of that. But it doesn't matter because in in our world of polarized media, you can just choose your bubble to go to and never pay attention to the truth. I think that is a good kind of broad explanation as to why the Republicans have been able to do what they've been doing. If we narrow down in on the conservative evangelicals, one of the things I have observed in almost everybody that is, is especially conservative evangelical, but also just very conservative, is I, I see very little kind of introspection or his, historical kind of assessment. I'll give you an example. You know, they they supported torture in in numbers that appall. I mean, that's that's what sent me, you know, basically <laughs> off the off the pier because you know seventy percent plus of white evangelicals supported torture, right. and that didn't go down. And after after the Bush administration left office, um, I kept kind of waiting for because there were some people within that evangelical world that were like, "Hey, wait, what did we just do? What what was going on?" But there was a complete resistance to any kind of Hey, how do we get there? Franklin Graham is speaking to at least that part of the conservative base. They're in the present moving forward, assuming that they've always been right. And they'll talk about being wrong in a generic sense. You know, well, I make so many mistakes. I am a sinful person. I'm a blah, blah, blah. But if you, none of them have ever apologized to me. Let me just put it that way. You know, I mean, they've never come back and said, hey, you know what? You were right about this. 100% though, it comes back to that thirst for power. Mm. I mean, that's what I saw when I was working in the religious press and watching the SBC leaders 
and actually noticing how you could have a very faithful congregation and pastor aiming to do what they felt called to do, right? Lead a church, follow God, live out their faith the way they were reading about it in the Bible, and ignoring a lot of the politics going on at the, at the upper level. But eventually it trickles down. I mean, it's just so invasive and infectious. The way it happens is you pull people into powerful positions and, and into the ranks. I mean, it's like Jim Jones and Kool-Aid, I think. It happens subtly. And I think, for, I think for a lot of them, they don't recognize it. People like Franklin Graham, though, there's no excuse. And even at some point, those, even those well-meaning people who get pulled into it, it's no longer you didn't know what was happening. I mean, you have to see what you're doing and what you're, what you're asking um, your congregations and your followers to go along with that is completely contradictory with your faith. I think it spreads initially rather innocently among, among churches and, and church leaders. But where it's coming from is a very sinister view of faith and using it for power and not for good. People like Franklin Graham, I look at him exactly like all these Republican senators when, you know, they're so against the deficit, right? When it's, they're, when it's a Democrat in power who wants to spend money for things they don't like. Suddenly they hate the deficit. It's the worst thing ever. Their guy's in power and is going to give tax breaks to everybody and put the country in debt $3 trillion. It's no big deal. We don't even talk about it. In fact, we ignore the fact that we've ever even said anything about the deficit. We come back around now. Biden will institute policies that are probably going to <laughs> add debt yeah. because we have so much we have to provide for. And right. they're going to be crying about the deficit yeah. and ignore that just a month ago or just two weeks ago or just two years ago, mm-hmm. they never were concerned about the deficit. And that's how these spiritual leaders act. Like when it's, when they want to claim that somebody's immoral and these acts are immoral because they don't like their politics, yeah. then they do it. But when their guy is immoral, well, it, you know, it's just, he's just a sinner like the rest of us who's fallen. Right. And Everybody does it. Who hasn't hired a porn star while their wife was, you know, breastfeeding the their fifth child from, you know, I mean, their third marriage? I you mean, haven't? Who hasn't done that? You didn't do that? No, all the time. I mean, it's... <laughs> I know. <laughs> I think you're exactly right. I mean, that is what we realized with the gasping about Bill Clinton's uh, affair with, with Monica Lewinsky, which... Yeah. To be fair, all of us were upset about, you know, I mean, I remember being upset about, I wasn't proud of that. I wasn't defending him for that. But what you realize is that they really were able, they would have been perfectly fine excusing that. It's just, they don't like, they don't like Democrats. They don't like democratic policy. And the fact that they don't like that proves that faith has nothing to do with their politics because the democratic policies in general are more in line with anything Jesus taught in terms of, who you take care of and where your priorities are. The fact that they ignore that completely is why I don't take them seriously at all in their faith. You seem to have been much more kind of capable of of making sense of this faith community in a way. Um, But for me, I kept assuming that they were acting out of, I mean, I'm talking about people I know and people I grew up with and people that were, you know, my teachers and stuff like that, that I just assumed a real genuine 
a theological, spiritual connection there. And with some there were, I know I'm not doubting that at all. Seeing it in this context and the kind of hypocrisy that's there is that you really have to see it simply as a social movement. It's just a social political movement. And, and it would be better if we just sort of took the religious discussion out of it. Yeah, and honestly, that to me is what makes it even worse is that they use spirituality and faith in Christianity to justify doing things that are anti all of that. They are not a religious movement. They're not a faith movement, but they're pretending they are, which is why it is so maddening. It's why, it is why it hurts you more that they're doing it because, but these, these religious leaders and pastors and churches and denominations who are supposed to be doing something else are not. And it's, it's, I mean, they border to me, they really border on blasphemy completely. Yeah. They're such hypocrites. That's the thing that Jesus despised about the Pharisees. Mm. And so if you want to follow the, the New Testament and make any comparisons with, with what Jesus would do and what we're doing and you know, the way they like to, they have no fucking clue. None. Yeah. No one wants to see themselves as the, you know, the ones that, that Jesus overthrows in the, in the synagogue. Right. No one wants to see themselves as the person who put that table up. They want to see themselves as the one on the sideline cheering. I wish there was somebody who could kind of maybe help me make sense of this because there is this belief, I think, in those people that go to those churches. And you and I were there and we saw this, I think, in, at least in some sense. Just that act of going to church on a weekly basis was an objectively pure and good thing to do. And that it was better than what other people were doing with their time, you know, watching football and um, doing that kind of stuff. You, you, the cool people were, could do both. <laughs> right. If you were a good Christian, you actually went to the early service so you could catch the 11 o'clock Bronco game. But as a result, they really do have this belief that anything that comes about within that church setting is objectively good. And so they don't have an ability to even question that. They're never the, uh, you know, the, the people that the Jesus was angry at. They're always on the side of Jesus. The infiltration at the congregational level is so subtle. You know, you go to church and it's apolitical, for mo right? I mean, really, when you and I were going to church back in the 70s and 80s, there was, there was no politics mentioned from the pulpit. Not that I remember. I don't know that I can completely make sense of it for you. But looking back, I totally see how we've gotten to this point with religious political influence. Because... In the late 70s, early 80s, Southern Baptist fundamentalists began taking over lower levels of the Southern Baptist Convention. And at the same time, political conservatives are using social issues to differentiate them as more moral from their Democratic counterparts. And so we get organizations like the Moral Majority, etc., that are suddenly kind of combining political, social, religious views and so abortion, which was seen mainly as a Catholic issue for decades, you know, was such an easy one to manipulate because, you know, as soon as you say the Bible is against killing babies and you, you boil it down to such a manipulated but simple view of that issue, you say that the Bible is against killing babies and no one wants to be for killing babies. And so suddenly you realize, yeah, you're against abortion because that, of course, isn't what the Bible would want you to be in favor of. And that aligns you with political conservatives. Before you know it, here we are where God and the Republican Party are presented as one, which is, of course, wrong.
But people have been hearing this rhetoric for so long, for so many decades, they cannot separate their political viewpoints from their faith and recognize where political issues have been completely manipulated to become faith issues when they really are not. You know, it's far more complicated than that, but it's not hard to imagine how this has brought us to this point in our faith and politics where people cannot separate them correctly. It's interesting, by the way, the, you know, uh, Kevin Cruz, and I actually never finished this book because it made me so angry. Um, <laughs> seriously, it was just, it was, uh, it really hit me. Uh, but One Nation Under God, I think is the name of it. And it's, and it's essentially about the rise of Billy Graham and he really tracks the Billy Graham kind of thing. One of the things he points out is that, that Billy Graham was actually hired by the Koch brothers of the day. I mean, these right. are, these are these wealthy corporate people who really wanted a libertarian kind of approach to government to let them do whatever they wanted. Not very religious people themselves, but they hired these religious people to present a message. So Billy Graham got his start. So everybody who, who when they talk about Franklin, they say, your dad is probably rolling his grave. And I'm like, well, maybe. I mean, uh, there's a lot of this that he actually contributed to. He actually went on tours around the country denouncing the New Deal. He denounced unions as being demonic and, and of Satan. I mean, Billy Graham did that. It's a, definitely a political movement, but it has with it these Christian kind of uh, motifs at times. And so yeah. that may be actually at some point a way to, to, to explain this. But again, if you, if you bought into the idea that they were listening to God and trying to act in a way that was good and in align with God's will and message and the Bible and what Jesus taught and everything else, then, you know, you're looking and going, well, where the fuck are you? Where, why aren't you, you know, and I need right. to not expect that is what you keep telling me. That that act, that little su summary right there is exactly what you've been saying to me for the last couple of years. The tricky part and the part we can't know and it and really doesn't matter, to be honest. Has Franklin Graham just lost his way so much because he's involved so much in this, in the in the powerful end of this that he thinks what he actually believes what he's saying just the way we've wondered whether does trump really believe this stuff or is it part of the manipulation and i i don't know what's true i mean what i believe is that franklin graham knows and this is just part of the manipulation if i got to have my my wishes one of them would be that franklin graham loses his voice loses his ability to tweet like just this guy has got to go i'm done with him if I had a Christmas wish like that, I I shouldn't repeat it because it would involve something with Franklin Graham that would be painful for him, and I don't want to be <laughs> I don't want to be accused of. Um, Our Christmas wish would be that these people: Franklin Graham, Ted Cruz, Donald Trump, who else? Lindsey Graham. Lindsey, oh, Lindsey Graham, Mitch McConnell, banished, you know, to. Antarctica to the North Pole, some really cold, miserable place where nobody right. cares what they're doing. Trump, he's been floating this idea of not leaving. Biden always had a really good response to that. He's like, you know, the Capitol Police are perfectly fine escorting trespassers out of the White House. I mean, that they can do that. Somebody was saying, well, how would you get him out of there if he barricaded himself in? And I was like, all you have to do is cut off his Twitter. Cut off his internet and his, I mean, just just leave him in there. You could leave him with power. Just cut off the TV and, and uh, cable and he'd be out in five minutes. He could not stand being in there with his own thoughts. My true Christmas wish with this administration is that 
Trump has a public meltdown. Like he gives his final press conference and he just unloads. And there's no way Fox News or OANN or Newsmax can spin that any other way than that he's just lost it. Here's a funny thing, kind of thing where if he goes so far off the deep end, you know, the Ted Cruz's, Marco Rubio's, even the Lindsey Graham's, they will have a real choice. Do I go with absolute crazy town or do I admit that, yeah, he's got shit crazy and deny what I've been saying the last four to, you know, eight weeks or four years for that matter, really put them on the hot seat. It will expose the crazy for being crazy rather than being victims. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the possibilities, of course, is that Lynn Wood is encouraging Republicans not to vote for uh, Purdue and, and Loeffler because the Republicans have let them down. Loeffler and Purdue are kind of stuck because they keep repeating the same bullshit, but they're risking that yeah. same, you know, alienation. My Christmas wish, honestly, would be that the Trump base just doubles down, creates their own party. They can call it the Patriot Party if they want to. They can call it the Scud Missile Party if they want to. I don't really care. Sorry. That was a... The Freedom Party. The Freedom, yeah. The Freedom Prize Party, maybe. They can, they can, do, they can call themselves whatever the fuck they want. But if they go off and, uh, you know, and distance themselves from the Republican Party and vote against the Republican Party because they think they're deep state sellouts... I will, that would be the happiest Christmas I could have. Yeah, my Christmas wish. We'll, we'll finally get to what I really wish here. One of these <laughs> <laughs> is that we get, we get two Democratic senators in Georgia. I yeah. think that, is, that truly is what we have to have to get anything really done in the next four years. We won't make much progress forward on climate yeah. change, on the pandemic on anything if we have to deal with Mitch McConnell's majority. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a horrible human. I agree. So let's, <laughs> let's, let's keep a good thought for Christmas. That's coming up eventually, maybe yeah, this week. Friday. When we go through the year, we just went through and then you get to Christmas and because it seems very disingenuous to not even acknowledge how tough a year it's been for most people. And for, for my family, we've been super fortunate to, to not have experienced a lot of the real hardship and heartache of being either sick or, or losing a job yeah. that, that, I, that millions experienced. Yeah. In my, my other podcast, you know, Music at Three Pines, the podcast, yes, yeah. plug there. I interviewed <laughs> uh, Heather Maloney, a musician who I'm very fond of and just have followed for and we were talking about christmas because she put out a christmas ep and i think this is true in every year but she's talked about one of her struggles with that music is that oftentimes it's just um there's a pressure for it to be just overtly and obviously happy that you kind of have to be happy that there's no room and she wrote a song essentially about having room at the table for all these other things, sadness. And, you know, and that's yeah. always true, honestly, that Christmas is always a, a, a bittersweet time for so many people. I mean, there's, there's you know, because yeah. you have lost family members over the years or friends or there's been disappointments. And, and, and uh, but this year, as you say, I mean, it's just so, I mean, there's, there's a part of really needing to focus on 
making it this far, surviving this far has been, uh, uh, you know, has been awesome. I mean, I'm glad that I'm glad you guys are okay. I'm glad that my family has been largely okay. And, and, um, and so I can celebrate that. But, you know, as you said, there are people in my circle who have lost people to COVID. In terms of disruption, we've all, everybody has had it. And so to, to, it feels really false to just get to the end. And then all of a sudden you're pulling out war on Christmas bullshit. I want to say, you know what? I'm, I'm left. I'm not as far left as, as you imagine me to be, but I'm certainly left of where you, you are. And I no longer even go to church anymore. And I love Christmas. And everybody I know loves Christmas. So shut the hell up and stop talking about right, wonderful right. Christmas. Right. Uh, that's, that's my mini rant. Do you act like, hey, it's Christmas. Everyone has to be happy and sing this holly jolly song. And, you know, to, to make that assumption prevents us from, I think, reaching out and, and trying to recognize, hey, is everybody okay this year? Yeah. Or in my, in my circle, in my community, this is big picture, but the number of people who are going to, who are homeless and hungry, it's unbelievably higher than normal because of lost jobs and, and, and lost homes. And we forget really how, how hard of a time this is for yeah. so many people. Two things from that I'm going to take from this and reach out in my socials and see how people are doing in a very honest way. I think that's a that's a lovely sentiment to remember. And then thinking about uh, those people who are hungry. And so thank you for that reminder. And and this is a good week to check in on those food banks and homeless shelters and see if there's something we can do for that. So thank you. That, that's awesome. that's good. And so now. For real, absolutely, my actual Christmas wish <laughs> would be, would really be for, for people, for Americans to find some contentment in this year <laughs> because yeah. it's, it's been a rough one and hopefully we, we move yeah. out of it, move into 2021 with some hope. So it's still a rough road ahead, but I think there's at least some light out there. Thank goodness. Yeah, I, I have to say that one of the hope came from, we have a lot of friends who are in the medical field so encouraged by them and their devoted how devoted they've been to their to their practice and to to their patients and to you know doing what they're doing and so i will applaud every one of them getting that that first stick and that first uh, that first dose and i will grit my teeth when marco rubio gets it and then makes a catty response after that but i i i will you know try to see the positives where I can. Mike Pence has been ineffective and, and been awful. And it was important for him as vice president to show that he had, he had faith in the, in the vaccine. But man, the rest of these people, boy, there's some, some real hutchba to, to, uh, to you know, downplay the virus and then they're right there. And then be in first line. in line. Yeah, yeah. That's, just, that's, that's frustrating. But like I said, my nurse friend's got it. Um, I'm going to I'm trying to be positive, Lori. I'm trying to be. <laughs> you're doing trying. a great job. Look at this. See, you're already living out my Christmas wish. We're in, we're in good yeah. shape. There's a guy at our favorite tap room. I saw him last spring, um, and he and he said, and I said, "How's it going?" He said, "Yeah." And I said, "Yeah, me too." And he said, "I don't get these people when you ask them how's it going." They're saying, "That's great." He said, "How can you be great in the middle of this?" You know, <laughs> it's a pandemic. You're not great. Right? Nobody's great. And I saw him the other day, by the way, and he actually is in the AstraZeneca um, trial. Uh, trial. And so he was talking about it. And I was like, dude, thank you for that. That's amazing. 
all of this, we've lost sight a lot because there's, again, it's hard to not to lose sight of how amazing it is that we have all these vaccines developed so quickly. But because of science and smart people, yep. you know, kind of hopping on the call right away and saying, all right, let's get something done. Let's make this. Yeah, work. no, it's, 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 it's really impressive. Yeah, I agree. Right. Hey, that's positive. We, we I know. Positive. Look at we, look at us so full. A lot of positive optimism <laughs> heading into twenty twenty one. Did you see that video? Fuck you, twenty twenty. Oh my goodness, yeah. that was awesome. My very favorite is the woman in the middle with the laptop. She's like, "If I have to go through one more fucking Zoom and one <laughs> with the fucking laptop, I'm like that was me every day with my son on online school." <laughs> Yes, and by the way, kudos to all of you. That's one of the things that I, I really appreciate is this is something as, as difficult this year has been for me. I am not, I can't even imagine what it's like to trying to wrestle the kids into the, into you know, especially with the younger ones mm-hmm. and deal with all the technical issues that we all deal with uh, and, and, and then trying to have them keep up their, their work and, and all the teachers who are, are um, you know, yeah. having to teach online at home and take care of their kids and get make sure their kids are doing their stuff. And and then lastly, of course, the people providing the internet because if they didn't do this, we don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So honestly, huge shout out to teachers and healthcare workers. I think this year, I mean, they yeah. they just if there were bonuses that could be given out, <laughs> they deserve all of them. Yep, agreed. <laughs> be honest, like if I were going through that pandemic the height of online school living in the northeast in a in a place i had to be shut inside i would have lost my mind (laughs) yeah bonnie Lattimore thought there was a lot of cussing as it was (laughs) can you imagine (laughs) happy holidays happy winter solstice happy winter solstice happy christmas and new year and all those things yeah you too thank you and thank you for making me laugh again I mean that. So, I mean, I know this isn't Thanksgiving. I'm not going to do that again, but I'm saying. Right. We're not thankful anymore. Right, that's right. We're come done on. with that. I want to get back to angry and raging. So come on, stop this. That's right. We got to hurry up and get through the holidays so we can get back to that and good <laughs> and feel good about it. Right? Exactly. All right. All right. Have, have a good one and stay safe and, and um, enjoy. Hey, everyone. This is Lori. And on behalf of Brad and I, we just want to wish you a very Merry Christmas and also thank you for listening to us this year. We look forward to bringing you more episodes, possibly with less ranting, maybe less cussing, probably not, in the new year. But for now, please enjoy this little Christmas song from my friend Jeffrey Essery and his siblings, as well as a funny Christmas story to follow. Thanks. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. The fireplace is burning bright, shining all on me. I see the presents underneath the good old Christmas tree. And I'll wait all night till Santa comes to wake me from my dreams. Oh, why? Cause that's Christmas to me. I see the children play outside like angels in the snow. While mom and daddy share a kiss under the mistletoe And we'll cherish all these simple things wherever we may be Oh why, cause that's Christmas to me
I've got this Christmas song in my heart. I've got the candles glowing in the dark. I'm hanging all the stockings by the Christmas tree. Oh, I, that's Christmas to me. That's Christmas to me. I listen for the thud of reindeer walking on the roof. So fall asleep to lullabies, the morning's coming soon. The only gift I'll ever need is the joy of family. Oh, I. That's Christmas to me. Christmas tree, oh, I, that's Christmas to me, oh, I, that's Christmas to me, I've got this Christmas song in my heart, I've got the candles glowing in the dark, and if years to come we'll always know one thing. That's the love that Christmas can bring Oh, why? Is that Christmas to me? This is the first year that Tanner doesn't believe in Santa Claus, so there's no, there's no pretense about what that is, which is the bummer, right? Like, as, a, as an adult, having kids around that believe makes it all super fun again because, you know, you have all these stories and you have all this sutterfuge you have to do all week and all month and you got to put it in a chimney yeah. <laughs> all sure. these things. you have to come up with all the reasons why at the beach you don't you know santa doesn't he doesn't need the chimney that's not he doesn't go down everybody's chimney right. Right. and his sleigh actually works really great on sand yeah right yeah there's a part of me not having had kids but there is a part of me that would always really kind of wishes that there'd be some moment that one of the kids is like this is just bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> when I first questioned it, it was in kindergarten because, you know, kids at school talk about it. And so I asked my dad and my dad, this is a great, this is a great little story for my dad. My dad didn't actually want to lie to me. So he never, he never answered directly. He'd say, well, do you believe in Santa Claus? And I'd be like, yeah, but is he real? Cause this kid at school said he wasn't. And my dad be like, well, do you believe the important, you know, and I, like, so he was kind of in the back of my head. And then my dad, ever the journalist, read to me the famous column from the Baltimore Sun way back in the 1800s to, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. So that all arose from someone writing a letter to the paper saying, you know, his, his daughter was asking if it was real. And he told her that if the sun says it's real, it's real. So the Sun editorial staff wrote this editorial saying, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. And when you read it carefully, it's all about how the spirit of Christmas is real. Mm -hmm. The spirit of, of love and giving to your fellow man is real. And it's masterful because it never says Santa Claus isn't a real person or that he is, but it's 
you know, the spirit is. And so my dad, that, so then my dad reads me the editorial. <laughs> Did he give you an assignment to write about it? Probably. And cite your sources? Lori, maybe you should investigate this. Third grade was the year I finally gave up and like, yeah, it's, he's not real. But I didn't say anything to my parents because I had two, you know, younger brother and sister. And I also feared that if I admitted I knew, the ruse was up. There'd be no Santa Claus presence, you know, right. we, wouldn't be, we wouldn't be doing any of that, even for them. So I carried on like a soldier, man. <laughs> That's interesting because as, as the oldest, you had a different responsibility. As exactly. I never had to, you know, and so it actually made me a, a bad adult because there's been a couple of times around parents with young children, I have said something that I see one of the parents going, like this, you know, giving me the, waving me off. And I'm like, oh shit, that's right. Oh, Santa Claus is absolutely real. <laughs> I've been that person giving you those bad looks, I guarantee it. When Calvin, when my oldest, questioned it, he questioned it with me, and he was pretty young, you know, like a kindergarten, first grader. I had elaborate rationales for everything. I, I was not in the room because I would have kicked my husband's shin so hard had I been in the room. When he asks my husband or just wonders about it or something, and Mark's like, oh, he's not real. I'm like, mm, why did you do that? He said, well, because he asked. I'm like, stop it. He's like, I'm not going to lie to him. I'm like, do you know how this works? Yes, right. he lied what for kind of, a certain number of years. <laughs> what kind of parent are you? You can't lie to your own children. I mean, come on. It's time for a state sale, a podcast on American democracy, because America is better than this.